Howdy, everybody. Thanks for being here. Today's Tuesday, April 20th, 2021. Happy Weed Day to all the stoners out there. I'm Trey Crowder, and that's Mark Agee. What's up, Mark? Uh, what's up, Trey? I'm feeling, a little, feeling relieved that something happened that was supposed to happen for once. In I know. Isn't that reality. weird? Did you make a wish? Like a, <laughs> a thing that happened that was, you know, a thing that was supposed to happen actually happened in America. It's it's odd. It's a cause. It's like seeing a shooting star, right? <laughs> it's been i mean it's been like like human brains shape things in a narrative arcs right that's where we tell stories and stuff like we look at a cloud and see a turtle you know so we, we want we think things should happen a certain way and when things don't happen that way it gets really frustrating right and we've had a, right. a bunch of reality go like that on no happy endings for a long time now like we're never gonna a lot of wish fulfillment we're never gonna never gonna get trump in cuffs right right you're never gonna it, it, nobody from the architects of the iraq war are gonna be free the rest of their lives same with the 2008 financial collapse it's over and over and over you can pick the thing yeah. like we haven't had a happy ending for a lot uh, in politics in a long time and then finally the right thing happens it feels like the system relented a little bit and i'm glad I know. for it it's almost hard to process for that reason we will of course spend more time talking about this subject uh later in the show but first <laughs> Let's get started. We've got with us, as always, producer Matt doing his thing. This is Weekly Skews tonight. As I just alluded to, we will be discussing the verdict the entire country was waiting for. And also, it's going to be a little bit of a cop-centric episode because as time allows, we're going to talk about the Oath Keepers and their treasonous ilk, the reality of far-right <laughs> nationalism and white supremacy in American law enforcement. Additionally, we'll be joined for a conversation on the political culture in our nation's capital and other things with former White House correspondent, Kentucky's own Sam Youngman. It's going to be Hell a good yeah. time. We're glad you guys are here. Uh, but first, as always, we must begin with the Daily Tonight's DD, you know him, you revile him. It's Ben Shapiro, everybody, who, when responding to the Chauvin verdict, somehow managed the remarkable feat of being both a complete dipshit and objectively correct at the same time. This is what he had to say. Matt, throw a, uh, there it is. So for everybody that's just listening right now, uh, Caleb Howe tweeted, CNN's Don Lemon, quote, justice has been served. And in response to that, Shapiro said, and we all know he would never have said this had the reverse verdict been reached. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, we do all know that, Ben. That's sort of how, you you know, justice works. Like, you're either on one side or another of any given verdict, yeah. right? And if you're pleased with the result... Generally, you would not have been pleased with the opposite result. That's kind of just a thing in the world. <laughs> like, yeah. What's he saying? Yeah, it's like if uh, when it's it's weird. It, it's so hypocritical that the, cow the Cowboys fans are happy when the Cowboys win, yet sad when they lose. I don't understand it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sh Shapiro is one of these dudes who's like, I'm not sure if if you don't go on the internet, he kind of doesn't exist, and yet is incredibly popular. Like he's like. His videos are always like number one, two, and three on trending on Facebook. So if you don't care who he is, I guarantee your aunts and uncles do. Um, and uh, he's just objectively a fucking idiot. I, I, I guess the, the point he's making here, like he talks real fast and he sounds like he took debate club. So that's why he sounds intelligent to people. He did go to Harvard, but uh, he's also hated by his family. His cousin is Maura Wilson, who played, um, she was a child actress who played, uh, uh, what's that movie? Uh, Matilda. I didn't know this. Matilda. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, and uh, they don't hang out. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so uh, anyway, he uh, just uh, that, that's I, I guess the larger point he's making is that Don Lemon is not objective when it comes to matter. Uh, uh, as it, but like if you, anybody who watches CNN, like TV news in America doesn't present as up objective. So I'm not here making that point too, uh, Ben. Right? Yeah, and again, it's not even like he. I mean, yeah. So do you think that? And I don't want to diagnose Ben Shapiro's popularity, but do you think that it, it, it the fact that he's like sort of like you said, it's he's kind of debate clubby, like seems smart. And so people on that side, they're like, <laughs> will point to anyone as like, look, see, a, a, a smart guy, we say, who thinks the things we think. You know, it's kind of like how like they always, as soon as a black conservative pops up, they all rally around him. It's like, see, look at this. Look at this. Is that what you yeah. think it is with Shapiro? <laughs> it- it's also like like debate club dudes are like the most like I I took philosophy classes in college so it's probably half this dude, uh, and uh, I, I'll here's the thing you can be technically right about specific stuff and still be completely wrong and an asshole and that's what that's why devil's advocate dudes are so goddamn annoying he's the king of it he'll find some narrow point like yes you you can't say the jury system's great and yet object to a jury verdict. If it goes the other way, but yes, you can. I can think something's fucking horseshit. If it's horseshit, I don't have to like, I don't have to engage you on your rules. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Again, being technically correct while still being a horse's ass or whatever is what this entire tweet was. That's what we're talking about here. But, yep. um, but let's, uh, before we get fully into the verdict, let's uh, have some honorable mentions for you for Daily Dumbass. So first up, I believe it's the first time he's ever been honored in this segment, which is kind of odd, but it's the Nuge, you know him, Ted Nugent, who last week, uh, and I'm sure not for the first time, went live on his pages going on a tirade about how COVID-19 was some bullshit. It was a scam. It was a hoax. He said he went his whole thing. It was like, look. It's COVID-19. We had COVID-1. We had COVID-2. We had COVID-3. All the way up through COVID-18, he was like, nobody ever cared. But now, all of a sudden, COVID-19 is supposed to be a problem? Uh, so, it's like, tell me being technically correct and still being fucking stupid. Are right. you, is your point, Ted, that some diseases are worse than others? Because you're, <laughs> true, it's true. Is the, is the hemorrhagic fever worse than uh, a, a, a flu fever? Yes. The word fever is not the controlling term here. You figured out there were COVIDs before. Congratulations. Now you, uh, Especially, now this is a man who documented uh, cat scratch fever, right? Wasn't that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No, so, anyway, so he knows a lot about favors, or does he? But anyway, so he did that, and then today uh, this happened. Matt, clip, please. And everybody told me I should not announce this, but can you hear it? I have had flu symptoms for the last 10 days that have just, I thought I was dying. I, I was tested positive today. Boy, I got a stuffed up head, body aches. My God, what a pain in the ass. I literally can hardly crawl out of bed the last few days, but I did, I crawled. I don't look like I've been crawling, do I? (laughs) So I was officially tested positive for COVID-19 today. Haven't taken the vaccine, so nobody knows what's in it. Actually, some people do know what's in it. And if you can't even honestly answer our questions of exactly what's in it and why are you testing it on human beings and forcing it upon people in such a short period of time, truth, logic, and common sense. We the people. Oh, by the way, a big salute to uh, Mike Lindell. What a great guy. The my pillow. I'm telling. <laughs> <laughs> truth, logic, uh, and common sense, Mark. Like I love how like 
it, this is a, another example of that classic trope with them where it's like a thing isn't real until it affects me personally. And like yeah. you do have that going on, but also he still isn't like even though it's it's like he's acknowledging it's real because, hey, I've got it. He still isn't backing off of, you know, the vaccines being bullshit. Like some people know what's in it. It's like, yeah, you know what's not in it? COVID-19. Like he <laughs> also, Ted. Tell me what's in your fucking orange juice. Look at the label and tell me what those chemicals mean. You don't know. You don't understand right. it. You if they, if they like I, I I've read up on the vaccine. I don't understand what there's like I I, I know vaguely what mRNA right. is filtered through a scientist press release through a reporter through my brain. It's probably completely wrong. The point is the doctors themselves are taking it. I'll take it. You Ted, your expertise is in making uh, uh, 1970s guitar licks over lyrics about fucking 15 year olds. That's the limits of your knowledge. Shut mm -hmm. the fuck up. Yeah. Right. But yeah, it's him acknowledging that it's a real thing you can get. <laughs> and also it's brutal the way he describes it. But then he's still like, but fuck that vaccine. No, <laughs> like, like, yes, it's real. You might catch it, but don't trust the people who are trying to keep you from catching it. Like just, Mental gymnastics, gold medal, man. Uh, but he ended that with talking about giving a shout out to his homie, Mike Lindell, at My Pillow, mm -hmm. talking about how he's really holding it down and holding it down. He is. Mike Lindell recently, he just launched a 48 hour live stream event to launch his new, uh, so like his new social media platform, Frank, right? Which is where his free speech lives, he says. So in 48 hours, he's sitting there for 48 hours doing his thing and it didn't go entirely. According to plan, uh, Matt, you can play the play the first clip. <laughs> you have it. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, thank you. Hey, hold on. I got. I think I got a reporter beaming in. Scott, thank you for calling, and God bless you. Goodbye. Uh, hello. Hey, Mike. It's Ron with the Wall Street Journal. Yes, yes. You're live. Is that okay? Oh yeah, that's great. But Mike, I have some bad news to tell you. I'm afraid, and I wish I hope you can share this with everybody. But unfortunately, Alexa passed away just a few minutes ago from a drug overdose. Okay, that's a, this is a prank oh, yeah, call. This is a prank phone call. No, you see what they're doing, everybody? You see what yeah. they're doing, everybody? That was an attack there because I brought up this great reporter, and that was an attack. You heard it here. <laughs> All right, real quick, go ahead and play the next one. Yeah, we had some big name guests. Breaking news here with a guest. Hello? Hello, yes, I have Mr. Trump on standby. Are you ready? Yes. Go ahead, sir. Hello, everyone. Uh, we have the president here, our real president, everyone. Hello, Mr. President. MacronShow.com, bitches. Okay. All right. All right. I Sorry, guess that folks. wasn't. I guess that was. You see what they're doing? They're attacking us. They're attacking us. And this is what, uh, I mean, that even came up. They're attacking into our phones. It came up that it, it was a legitimate, legitimate number. Call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somebody, so apparently someone got his phone number, put it on the message board. So the entirety of this 48 hour live stream was just nothing but people baba booing the MyPillow guy while he's trying to talk about his, uh, his, election fraud documentary and his new his new um uh social media network which apparently he launched but nobody could get on and one of the clips and a real an actual reporter did call him was like hey i just wanted to ask you about the fact that your site launched but no one could get on it and they're all complaining on other social media platforms and he called the guy a liar and said he just didn't know how to do it right and yada 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 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> producer Matt wants us to relay that live streaming is very difficult. Yeah, <laughs> that's the case. Anybody familiar with their technical difficulties knows that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's just like the whole thing. Like his, Frank is supposed to be dedicated, completely dedicated to complete free speech. So all these like conservatives said he won because he got kicked off everything else for being Nazis. And uh, except you can't blaspheme on my on, the, on Frank. You can't take the name of the Lord in vain. So uh, you right. can't even really you, you can you can say fuck them and fuck the demon crats, but you can't say Jesus Christ fuck the demon crats or whatever they want to say. Yeah, so, well, that would be that would be out of line. Frank, is, mm -hmm. so you think is that a let me be frank? Is that where that came from? You think? Yeah, I think so. Probably. Yeah, that's yeah. About the extent of their creativity, but him just being like him genuinely believing that it was the former president. You know, in that moment, after already having been pranked so many times, and then after it's over, I like how he like kind of stopped himself. He was like, "Okay, apparently that wasn't actually," and then he stopped because he was about to, that wasn't actually the president of the United States. I guess it called him. Yeah, uh, I mean, I gotta say, even in the abstract, removing politics from it, I don't think it's a good idea for a seventy-five-year-old recovering crackhead to be staying up for forty-eight hours straight. But uh, <laughs> I'm not a doctor. I'm getting right. back up there for that. So. Our last honorable mention, Chuck Grassley, who has uh, an odd take on the numbers related to the MLB moving the All-Star game from Georgia. Matt, play the, play the clip. <laughs> Offended by. Most infamously, Major League Baseball moved the All-Star game from Atlanta, a move that's likely to cost the city's economy 100 million jobs, and that's affecting the income of uh, Georgia. A hundred million baseball jobs, Mark. That's yeah, a lot. that's a lot of I jobs. At, I looked at the population of Georgia as a whole, not even Atlanta. It's eleven million people. So apparently, yeah. eighty-nine million people were moving to Georgia to work for baseball until they moved the All-Star game. So to yeah, talk about some. To be a little bit fair to Grassley, I'm assuming he meant to say dollars, right? Yeah, and it's like yeah. even that. I mean, I don't know. I'm you know I'm money dumb. I have no idea, but like I don't know how accurate even that number is. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, him switching it to jobs and just not even realizing it as he then plowed through the rest of his screen or whatever is, is pretty appropriate. I guess the math is like, you know, a thousand people come to town and spend a thousand dollars each or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's probably, I guess, something like that. <laughs> yeah. All righty. So uh, let's get into it. The verdict. Guilty on all counts, Mark. Um uh, what do you what what do you think? So I mean, I know we kind of touched on this, but yeah, I take it. Were you surprised? Because I was surprised. I was definitely preparing for not this, frankly. Well, I was, I what mean, I, here's what I thought would happen. I thought he would get one of the lesser charges, but not get second degree murder. That's what I thought. I was like, he'll get off on something. He'll get like a lesser thing, and that'll be a problem. But there's no way he'll be held fully accountable because, again, that's just not how things tend to work in this country. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if I if I if I had to put money if if I would have had to put money down on a result, it would have been like um, they find him guilty on the le the least less le least included charge, like third degree mans manslaughter or whatever. He serves six months, and then his appeals are granted, and then it's reduced to probation, and he, and he gets out on time served. That that would that would have been what I get. These are that half a baby shit, you know, uh, a bit King Solomon type stuff is what they do in this this circumstances. So keep the cops happy and keep this uh, town from burning down. But yeah, I mean, I mean, all of this is like it was not a surprise to me. They scheduled the verdict reading on 420 
That's like sort of like it's like let everybody get high. They'll read this stuff, and maybe there'll be less people, less people out in the streets. Um, that's that's yeah, me. That's man. all racist you know, police chief would think. So yeah, here we got the actual found, guilty on all counts. Count one, second degree murder. <laughs> count two, third degree murder. Count three, second degree manslaughter. Um, yeah, I you know I know that like in Minnesota and in Minneapolis in particular, like people were like going home from work, being let off from work early and things like that. Like people were preparing for it to be some <laughs> shit is what yeah. I'm saying. And, uh, you know, mentally I was too, I like, I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I'm relieved, but it's one of those things where it's like, it's great. It's great that this is the result that we got from this particular scenario. But, you know, think even today, another, unarmed black person was shot by a cop or something like that. Like Columbus, you know, like, Ohio. He has a 15 year old, he killed a 15 year old girl in Columbus, Ohio. 15 year old yeah. girl. Right. Yeah. Shot by a cop. So like, you know, yeah. still work to be done, obviously. Now at the same time, it's like, you, you know, it's obviously better than the alternative. It's the result that was called for and it's the one we got. So that's cool, but it doesn't mean, uh, even remotely the end of all this bullshit. No. Uh, although, uh, the people in charge are very much trying to do a uh, lesson learned. Let's all hug and roll credits type moments. For example, like let's play this clip of Nancy Pelosi. If you have it, yeah. uh, Matt. Thank you, George Floyd for sacrificing your life for justice, for being there to call out to your mom. How, how heartbreaking was that? Call out for your mom. I can't breathe, but because of you and because of, thousands, millions of people around the world who came out for justice, your name will always be synonymous with justice. All right. Uh, first of all, did, did George, George Floyd did not sacrifice himself for shit. Right. He didn't do he he didn't, nothing about this. Nothing was, nothing was voluntary about this. And this is not a trade he decided to make. He did not decide to die so, so one racist right. cop will go to jail. He would very much gladly, if he had a choice, let Derek Chauvin out of jail to be alive again. I feel fairly certain about that. Do you think um, this is just like an off the cuff moment? I always think with like high level people like this, that nothing is really off the cuff unless they're like, you know, cornered somewhere and forced to say something. And it just seems like such a weird thing to land on saying to me, like, you know, thank you, George Floyd for sacrificing yourself. That's just, it's a wild, uh, it's a wild thing to get through all the various filters and be like, yeah, that's the thing that I should say. <laughs> yeah, uh, this isn't just like uh, Adam Server, who, who writes for the uh, Atlantic, made uh, made this point. Was like this reduces George Floyd to like a like a secondary character in a movie who is there so the white protagonist can learn a lesson. And it's like that's what's. And I was like, yeah, that's that. I couldn't put into words what was so off putting about that, but that's that sort of feels like. It's also like, I, it I feels did, like there's this implication of like it was worth it or something. Do you know what I mean? By being like, thank yeah. you for sacrificing your life. It's like the undercurrent of that is like, you know, because this was something that needed to happen and you made it happen. So thank you, which yeah. is also kind of fucked up. Cause like you said, he didn't, <clears throat> he didn't knowingly do, he just, he got killed by a cop. You know, he didn't make the choice to do yeah. all this stuff. The, the whole point I was thinking about to like the, 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 the 10 minute set that Chappelle put out during the protest last year, about this hypothetical person being like, why did you choose George Floyd? Why are you elevating this guy and turning him into a martyr? It's like, well, we didn't choose him. That's the point. 
George, George, the whole point is George Floyd didn't get to say any sort of say in this scenario. He was just trying, he was uh, uh, hanging out Memorial Day, maybe drank a little too much, was trying to buy some shit at a convenience store. You know, it's something that I've done. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. So, again, we talk about, yes, it's great, you know, this result was the best result that could have come out of this particular situation, but still a whole lot of work to be done. And on that point, um, you know, the culture of law enforcement and where it stands right now, uh, there we've in the news lately, we've had the Oath Keepers, which are a far right anti-government militia organization composed of current and former military police and first responders who pledged to fulfill the oath that all military and police take in order to, quote, defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. They had a big presence on January 6th at the riots at a recent interview with 60 Minutes. And if you, you know, question the involvement of, like, actual law enforcement or police officers in groups like this, look at uh, this clip here from that 60 Minutes interview with one of the... Our guys are very experienced. We have active duty law enforcement in our organization that are helping to train us. We can blend in with our law enforcement. In fact, in a lot of cases, our training is much more advanced because of our military background. Man, a number of red flags in that for me, or, you know, bright red flag. First of all, we have active duty law enforcement people in the organization, but then also that last part we said, you know, really our training is even better. Like, you know, than cops because we have a military presence too. So there's there's a lot yeah. to be uh, disturbed by in that clip. Yeah, I mean these are these kind of organizations. They want to be menacing, so they're going to exaggerate both their prowess and their organizational capability right. and their numbers. Uh, yeah. The best they, they'll say they have fifty thousand members. The best guess by law enforcement is they have five thousand. Um, but the uh, uh, it's still scary because they I mean they were part of the ringleaders of the Capitol insurrection. If you if you have to picture who the Oath keepers are in your head. Imagine the Proud Boys uncles who wear POW MIA hats. All right. So that's essentially who they are. Um, it, we sh- we showed you guys videos of the Capitol riot. The guys that were moving through the crowd with the hands on their shoulders and the tactical formation wearing helmets and stuff, those would have been the Oath Keepers teams. Um, and they've they've been rounding up a bunch of Oath Keepers. They haven't gotten been arrested the national leadership on like organized crime charges or anything yet, but they did arrest uh uh I mean, we'll get to, we'll get to that in a second, I guess. But uh, this this first, um, there's been a, a national sort of tr- attempt to have a reckoning about like how many white supremacists are involved in law enforcement. There was a story yesterday about somebody hacked the, who the donors were to Kyle Rittenhouse's defense fund, and they found a bunch of like cops and shit, which is crazy because he's a literal murderer. And he doesn't deny killing people. He killed three people in, on mm-hmm. the streets of Kenosha. Um, uh, in my opinion, he's a murderer. You might think he's a vigilante. Either way, it's bad, and cops should be opposed to him. But like a a, um, a, a, a cop in Virginia Beach, I think, got fired today for being for donating to his defense fund. So glad that guy's gone. But there was a report last year about uh, from the Brennan Center about um, how many uh, uh, how much white supremacy and far right militancy there is in law enforcement. And I mean, there's a list of like 40 states where guys have been caught like being members of out and out white supremacist organizations, which is just like insane to me that you'd think you get to be a police officer and also be on the membership list for Stormfront. I don't understand why you think you could get away with that, but right. guys apparently did. Um, um, it's it's funny to me thinking about how like 
how this uh, sort of reflects on uh, the trope in a lot of superhero comic books. And go with me on this. Of like with Batman, <laughs> how the cops are always very anti-vigilanteism, like in every Batman movie or story, yeah. you know, the cops are opposed to him because like, we can't have this. We can't have mm-hmm. this vigilante justice shit out here. But Batman is a white dude. You know, they can tell that much. And he seems to be rich as far as they know, because he's got all his gadgets and stuff. So like they would be more than fine with it because you've got an armed teenager, right? killing people is his form of vigilante justice and they're you know donating to his gofundme and whatnot so like you know i might need to rewrite some of them comic book stories mark i don't know it, that they're that opposed to white vigilanteism if that's the right I mean, way to say that i mean in the comic books the punisher was a serial killer who killed cops and and it was the arch enemy was the cops in real life cops paint blue punisher. flag punisher logos punisher on the cars yeah so I don't really know how they how the fantasy made. They just know the punter. I think they just think the Punisher logo looks cool. I don't know if they really understood anything about it. The Punisher in the all the all the Punisher writers and creators have been like the Punisher was a bad person and he and he hated cops. Those two things are not necessarily connected, but how you can like like him as a police officer to both things is very weird to me. Well, right. Well, uh, also, I mean, they were you know we had that story when when it actually happened the insurrection of police at the Capitol being beaten by rioters who had, you know, the blue line flag and like blue lives matter thing, just whipping <laughs> the shit out of police officers. Because in this instance, they were ideologically opposed from them in their minds. So it isn't even necessarily about like the shield or what it represents, you know, or, or what it's supposed to represent. It's just about, you're either for them or you're against them, basically. And even if you are a cop and in any given moment you are against them, mm-hmm. they're still going to come after you, especially if you're a black cop. But yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, the symbolism uh, wasn't particularly subtle on January 6th. Uh, being, I mean, be, <laughs> a police officers being beat by a Blue Lives Matter flag is like maybe uh, could, uh, hammer, hammering it home. Over, it's a little on the nose if I uh, to the screenwriter. Uh, but. <laughs> Uh, it's like the end of Departed when they zoom in on the rats. Like, oh yeah, I couldn't trust anybody. Nobody was honest. We get it. We get. We get the point here, Scorsese. Thanks, Marty. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, before we get to our guests, I'd like to Matt, if you've got, I want, I'd like to play the the, the clip of the three O keepers <sighs> sitting there talking about how they felt about the Capitol insurrection. That one on sixty minutes. Um, I know we're skipping ahead a little bit in the outline, but where they sort of respond to it. Um. So on January 6th, when you see, you know, these people wearing that same emblem storm into the Capitol, what was your reaction? Some of those people with those keepers could have been BLM. They could it have could been have been a anybody. false flag as far as I'm concerned. You don't think they were Oath Keepers? Well, they, they we, don't been. we don't We don't know. So... Again, mental gymnastics, I don't, first of all, we know they were there in force, the Oath Keepers. But secondly, it's like, this would seem to an outsider to be the type of activity that they, you know, directly advocate for. Yeah. And then now they're trying to twist it and blame it on somebody else when you would think like uh, they would stand up and be like, God damn right, it's what we were there to do. But they can't because, you know, the FBI will get them or whatever. But still. Yeah. I mean, it's like. Balance all that out. It's so weird because the whole reason, like the, the the people they're interviewing that in that sixty minutes piece, are, me- are the members of the biggest chapter of the Oath Keepers, Oath Keepers, which is in Arizona, Arizona's chapter. 
they are currently in a, uh, in a divorcing the national leadership because the national leadership was there on one six and certain a certain number of at least this one guy who was a founding member of the Oath Keepers has flipped and turned to cooperating witness. Like the just threw up the, the screen grab of the article up there. Like he's a so that's the whole reason they're trying to break off on their own is because they can't trust the national leadership because they're testifying against people for storming the Capitol. So you can't fucking have it both ways. Right. You know? Yeah. The Oath Keepers have been breaking their uh, intra-organizational oaths recently, Look, uh, let alone the a, primary oath. If there's a takeaway from any of this, I'm going to recommend that none of you get involved in any conspiracies to commit crimes with white people. We will snitch immediately. <laughs> These guys... They're, they, they're called <laughs> Oath Keepers. They literally take an oath. An oath means I would rather die than break this. The guy's right. been in jail for, let me check my fucking watch, a month and a half. <laughs> and he's flipped faster than any Southside Crip or Piru blood. People who are just in it to make rent money are more loyal to their friends than this guy who took an oath to die rather than uh, you know betray the Constitution. So there you go. There you go. All right. With that said, let's uh, let's get into our guest tonight. Uh, Sam Youngman is a Democratic consultant and the host of Burning Bridges with Uncle Sam, the podcast you can get where all your podcasts are gotten from. Before he moved to L.A. and became a freak, he was a semi-respected campaign reporter and White House correspondent covering two presidents and three presidential <laughs> campaigns. He also is a Kentuckian, born in Lexington, raised in Owensboro, attendee of quite a few of the community colleges around there, and a ultimate a graduate of Western Kentucky University, very near to my old stomping grounds there in North Tennessee. Everybody, please welcome Sam Youngman. What's Sam. up, What's up, Mark? Man, hey, I really appreciate you having me. Good to see you again, buddy. I did Sam's show a couple of weeks ago. We had a good time. We uh, had a lot to commiserate on. Um, so, Sam, um, I guess to start with just a general question, you were a White House correspondent for a long time and then you became i guess to put it lightly uh somewhat disillusioned with that life <laughs> and that culture can you kind of just start off by giving us uh sort of your rundown on why that was what you saw when you spent that amount of time deeply ingrained in the political culture in dc and what turned you off about it yeah no i'm happy to you know it's a it's a it's a nice mix of uh intense personal burnout and then just complete disillusionment with our nation's capital. Uh, you know, I think after years and years of watching people fight on TV all day and then get together to have drinks together later that evening, you know, you start to look at things a little differently. You see, you start to see a country that's being torn apart on purpose. Uh, now I will say looking back, I think one of the things I got wrong was that there are a lot of people that are trying to do some good. They're just so overshadowed by all the people doing all the bad. And, uh, you know, especially after January 6th, I think it's getting easier and easier to tell which is which. Um, so you said seeing people fight about something all day and then go out for drinks that night. Um, does that mean, and I'm not asking you to single anybody out or anything, but that like how many of them actually believe the things that they say, because I'll say I've been to like, I've been to like Politicon before and I've been on political panels and I've been on those with, conservatives and people that totally oppose and in the green room beforehand everyone's being cordial you know because mm -hmm. you don't want to be fighting in the green room beforehand 
But that don't mean that um, you know, that we're homies or that I agree with right. any of the shit they're saying. But when you talk about that experience with our politi- our lawmakers, like how many of them are just straight up bullshitting with the things they say versus actually believing it in your experience? I would say it's a very high percentage. Now, let me also say this, though. I was pre-Trump. You know, Trump right. was, uh, I mean, it was like, you know, the Antichrist coming to town and a lot of people found religion. Uh, so I would say, I would venture to say that you've got a lot more true believers than con artists these days. And I might even say that the true believers are more dangerous than the con mm-hmm. art. You know, I, if I can go off on a tangent for a second, they're, they're talking about bringing back earmarks. And yeah. earmarks, if you don't know, used to be called, you know, pork barrel spending mm-hmm. or, you know, this wasteful spending. I think this is the greatest damn idea that I've heard in forever. Because I tell you what, Washington, D.C. needs a certain amount of legalized bribery, a little bit of grease to make those wheels turn. Because if you're negotiating and you say, hey, buddy, come along with me on this and I'll give you a bridge, then you can work with that. But when you took away the earmarks, you took away that incentive. And Washington hates a vacuum. And that vacuum got filled with the crazies. It got filled with ideology instead of transaction. And so I say, yeah, bring back the earmarks. Make that motherfucker work again. Let's send the crazies home. Let's get some new roads. Let's get some new bridges. And let's make government work. And Sam, I've been, I've, I've hammered this point before on this on this stream. You're absolutely right. And like, like it's like with without any horse trading, it's all ideology. And ideology is too stubborn to get anything accomplished. Like if you're like, if you can't pass a healthcare bill by giving a Republican uh, a new community college in his in his district, then nothing's ever going to pass. Yeah, it's just it's, it's, goes to the corners and stays there. Yeah, yeah, you said it, man. absolutely. You said it. And horse trading is the perfect word for it too. Mm-hmm. All right, we're uh, joined by former White House correspondent, podcaster Sam Youngman. So, Sam, um, so you think? And I know you, you know, you left the game, like you said, pre-Trump. But looking at it from the outside, looking in, you talk about these ideologues that are up there right now, and you said you think they're more dangerous than the sort of like, uh, you know political agents you know that used to exist up there do you think that um do you think we can pull out of that nosedive with these people and get back to this place that we're all talking about where you know horse trading still exists and things still happen or like how do you feel about the general uh prognosis right now with the way that you think we're going to dig further in to our you know our poles that we have on either side of the spectrum or can that so actually it's 420 it's 420 i know a lot of people are smoking up and the last mm-hmm. thing i want to do is be like the world's biggest fucking bummer uh i'm gonna do it anyway yeah i'm gonna do it anyway i'll be honest with you i have i i never run out of hope when it comes to america because i think we uh i think we've got the goods to be great uh even though we constantly fall short um january 6th and the reaction to it the days that have followed have really dimmed that hope for me. If a goddamn terrorist attack on our capital, you know, remember the, pl- the plane that went down in Pennsylvania was to stop an attack on our capital. And if we couldn't come together after this and say, Hey, shit's gone too far. Hey, we're supposed to be on the same team here. If we couldn't do that after this, then I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. I mean, the body count's getting higher every day. And uh, we're getting further apart. I want to say I think we can get around it. I think we've got the right president 
to try and do it. I mean, if there's one thing Joe Biden does, it's lower the temperature. Um, mm -hmm. I just, yeah. I, uh, I'm not as hopeful as, about it as I'd like to be. I'll put it that way. Well, I tell you, I mean, I agree with what you just said. Here's the thing I tell myself <laughs> is that at the end of the day, we will be able to outnumber them enough for it hopefully not to matter as we continue to move forward. And I'm talking about like the hardcore people at the at the Capitol on January 6th. Like, no, we're not. I don't think we're getting those people back. I don't. But I think I hope that the rest of us or enough sane people will still exist in this country that hopefully it won't matter. And I know they'll still be able to do their crazy bullshit if they want to. And yes, that's scary. But I mean, on a macro scale, maybe we can just move on without them as opposed to trying to get them back. Cause I don't see that happening. Well, I mean, the filibuster is what keeps it all even though. Right. right. I mean, yeah. you know, we've already got the numbers. It's just that the deck is just stacked, stacked against us. And until we start, you know, really taking seriously state house races until we start, you know, caring about things like, redistricting as much as we care about the presidency, then, you know, that majority is always going to be tenuous. We're always going to be in, you know, facing this existential threat that comes with minority rule these days, you know, where you, I mean, can you imagine a Marjorie Taylor Greene as the chairwoman of a committee? I mean, that's a real, that's a real possibility these days. So yeah, I mean, just, we've got to be on guard, but at every single level. Right. Um, Mark, I thought you were gonna. Oh, um, what is the uh, oh, railed off there? Like the, sports all right. No, 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 that's my fault. <laughs> so, uh, um, what is the habit of the White House press corps, the Washington press, that like irks you the most? For me, it's when they ask a series of questions about nothing no actual voter would ever care about. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, that's uh, that's a big one. It's like they're having their own conversation and they forgot to invite the American people. Uh, you know, I'm an asshole about this stuff. I really am. I wrote a whole magazine piece about it. I am, I am not, I am persona non grata back in the DC press circles. Uh, when I fly into DCA, there's a bunch of <laughs> fucking nerds standing there waiting to throw me out. Um, yeah, Matt put up a screen grab of it. Y'all should look up and read that article because Sam ain't lying. He really does go <laughs> in on those people. I'm not at all surprised that they don't want you around anymore because you, <laughs> you roasted yeah. the hell out of them, which yeah, I appreciate I'm, I it. I promise I won't do that to L.A. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think the thing that, that happens all too often is you pull a punch because you know the person or because you need to be able to talk to them later. You know, I, I look at somebody like Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, who, you know, called Georgia's secretary of state and tried to have votes thrown out, tried to have Americans votes thrown out. And the reaction was just sort of, oh, that rascal. And, you know, I, I have this idea that, you know, if you're going to have a press conference, you need to start sending a designated hitter. Don't send the guy who goes to the parties with the guy he's covering. You know, don't send the guy who's, whose kids go to, you know, school with that, that person. Send somebody who's never met Lindsey Graham, who doesn't need him for anything and can just straight up ask him, you know, what the fuck were you thinking trying to have millions of votes thrown out? Um, that and just, you know, when it's just too insular, when you have a whole press conference, in the in a pandemic where thousands of Americans are dying a day and not one reporter asked about the pandemic, you know, that's a bad look. That's a bad look. Um, all right. So I want to ask for sure. You're a Kentuckian. Got to yes, bring up, got to bring up old dead handed Mitch McConnell, right? Uh, yeah. I feel like every election cycle we get 
we on the left get told, like, you know, got a new up-and-comer, got a real shot, you know, get Moscow Mitch out of there, whatever, but he just sticks around. Yeah. And so, you know, as a Kentuckian and a, a political reporter and everything, what's the – so how – like beloved or or just popular whatever is he really in the bluegrass state and where do you see his career going or ending up sure okay so you know that access junkie i was just condemning well that's exactly who i was with mitch mcconnell Mm -hmm. in 2014 uh i covered him up close is mitch beloved in kentucky absolutely not his favorable numbers are always in the 30s but what he does really well and maybe better than anybody is he makes you hate the other person more, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, it's easy to do in a conservative state where every television is on Fox News. Uh, you know, I, I watched Mitch campaign up close and he is he is damn good at what he does. You know, there's a reason, you know, he's been there as long as he has. I, I tell this story about uh, his campaign staffer told me she was she they were at a parade. We were all at a parade. They were uh, Mitch and Elaine Chow were sitting in the back of a convertible. And this staffer was put was handing out stickers, campaign stickers to kids. And McConnell called her over the car and he said, no, no, put the sticker on the kid's chest. That way their parents have to take them off. And I was like, man, that is some old (laughs) shit. But that's how he does it. Damn. You know, he raises a ton of dark money and just beats the livid shit out of whoever, you know, dares to oppose him. For sure. (laughs) There was a somebody made this point and it was like seeing the Matrix uh, for me. But like if you're like a, a conservative California donor, there's no point in donating to like Kamala or, or, or whoever's like opponents in California Senate races. But if you give the Mitch McConnell, who's a Senate majority leader and help him stay in power, then he can make sure that your most of your interests are protected. So it's not even really a state by state thing. He gets national money because he's so powerful. Yeah, that's so it. He's, he, and it flows both ways. It's people who hate him and people who like him. And it's coming, you know, it's almost all coming from out of state. Yeah. Do you think what could be done to actually dethrone him there in your home state? You know, I think you've got to do you've got to have a Stacey Abrams, right? You've got to have somebody who's willing mm-hmm. to do the work to build the party from the ground up. Uh, I think in a lot of states like Kentucky, you've had a state party that was treated like a political football, you know, almost an intramural fight for for years while, you know, Republicans were getting stronger. I don't know. You know, Kentucky just elected a Democratic governor uh, right before I, right after I moved out here. I, f- I felt like that was personal. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if you ask me if they're ever going to unseat Rand Paul, who's a completely unserious, you know, you could very easily describe him as a traitor of the United States. Are they going to beat? Are they going to you know retire him? Probably not. Um, I have hope for Kentucky, but it's sort of like my hope for America. It's uh it's not as bright as it used to be. Dude, I look, I mean, you know, I'm a Tennessean. I'm your neighbor to the south there. And I like I not that long ago, even though we had a Republican governor and stuff, we had some things happen in Tennessee that I was actually proud of. Like we were the first state to make community college free for for residents of that state, you know, and I thought that it, there was a time where I thought things were like trending in the right direction for Tennessee and you know, I hate to say it, but I could not feel more the opposite uh, of yeah. that than I do recently with Bill Lee and Marsha Blackburn and Diane Black and all them. And how I, I just like you said, I, 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 you know, I think this is a trait that uh, most progressive Southerners share is like we hold on to hope. You know, yeah. cause it's like all we have, even and though we I, know. better. <laughs> yeah, right. Even though we know better. Exactly. It's like I do still have hope, but I don't. 
I can't sit here and say I'm feeling great about the way it's going right now. I love it for what's happening in Georgia and all that. But as far as like Tennessee goes, not feeling good about it. And I guess it's the same for you in Kentucky. Well, I mean, what reason do we have to be hopeful? Are the media patterns changing? Are people changing channel from Fox News? No. Is education getting better funded? No. Are people right. getting, you know, is, is, are, are, you know, is there more diversity? Not really. Not in those places. I mean, there's there's just no reason to think it's going to change. And I, t- I tell you something, Trey, I'm going to date myself here a little bit, a little bit. But uh, I covered the Tennessee State House. I lived in Nashville and I covered uh, Governor Phil Bredesen, an actual mm-hmm. Democratic governor of Tennessee. And, uh, you know, I, I was there when they passed the lottery. Um, yeah. And the lottery was, you know, to fund education. But, yeah, it was uh, it was I think it was a time when you still had coalitions in the south, the blue dog Democrats. Mm-hmm. So you had states like Tennessee and, and Kentucky where, you know, Bill Clinton won both those states. And, you know, you could do that shit back then. And, buddy, we are through the looking glass. Those are not the same states anymore. Right. I mean, um, everything, everything's so blindly tribalized. Like I saw somebody make this point like uh, uh, during the election about like, it was like, I, I'm not sure people are persuadable by arguments anymore. Why even have the debates? And it's like, well, if that's the case, then what's the argument for democracy? Like, what's the point of having elections if you can't convince people of anything? It's very and I weird. guess that's where the hope is, right? As long as we're talking and we're not yeah. shooting, then that's, that's where you want to be. And yeah, you know, I guess, I guess where I'm at is I'm just, I'm more fearful of, uh, of violence than I have been in the past. It just, you know, when I, most of my career as a political reporter, we just didn't even consider that. It was um, it was unthinkable, you know, just unthinkable. You you wrote phrases like peaceful transition of power and you didn't give it a second thought. It was mm-hmm. a clear day. And that's just not the case anymore. All right. Anyway, so, I'm really glad I came on to be so uplifting. No, well, actually, I was about to say to try to lighten the mood a little bit. And look, if you don't, if you ain't down with this, it's fine. And I certainly am not asking you to name any names, but you did the White House beat, the D.C. beat for a long time. Yeah. Do you have any kind of good, wild ass D.C. stories for us? Where you know, and I, I don't, you know, not necessarily coke and dead hookers. What's the hot necessarily, But sure, <laughs> yeah. Let's get a little hot guys if you got it. What, yeah, what lots of coke, no dead hookers. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't think. Uh, you know, I would love to tell you some of my most scandalous stories. Um, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this. Uh, right before I checked into rehab, I was drinking down in the White House basement every morning at 8 a.m. 8 in the Fox News White House booth because my buddy there had a full bar. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, DC, I tell you, I don't know if it's like this still, I assume that it is, but it used to have a bit of a wild streak and I, uh, I contributed to it mightily. <laughs> but yeah, I tell you the off the record bar right there in the basement of the Hay Adams, that was my stomping ground. And I had a, basically what was a prolonged multi-year VH1 behind the music right there in that bar. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, hell I'm glad, you know, Glad you got it all figured out, but also glad you got to experience of hell. Because, like, Hollywood, here's my personal experience, and that people might think I'm lying. I'm not. Hollywood is also purported, but you just walk into meeting rooms and there's mountains of coke and whatever. And I guess apparently that used to be the way it is, but it's all super corporate and fucking buttoned up and shit now. You know, you and I'm, not saying, I'm not saying like, where's my coke? God damn it. I missed it. I'm just saying <laughs> it hasn't been, it hasn't been the uh, wild and crazy party time that it's sort of presented to be sometimes. And I guess maybe DC sort of the same way. Cause I feel like it does have that reputation also of like behind closed doors. It's just, Sure. It's just debauchery. You know? Well, I mean, I, I think it's probably both, right? I mean, you know, 
I think we paint with a broad brush. I mean, there were, you know, I wasn't alone in being a lunatic werewolf running through the streets of DC, but I, <laughs> right. but I wasn't the, you know, I wasn't the norm either. I mean, you know, it's funny, actually, I, you know, I came up reading Hunter Thompson and reading all about the 72 campaign. Really one of the reasons I was attracted to journalism is because I was a kind of a fuck up. I liked eating acid, but I also kind of like politics. And so I was like, well, shit, I'll just combine the two and be a journalist like Hunter did. Cause you know, he's from, <laughs> uh, what was I saying? Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> You're making all kinds of sense to me, buddy. All right. So yeah, anyway, yeah, I'm sorry. So anyway, it was all debauched and I really got into that. And then later it wasn't like that at all. It was like everybody was, you know, in law school or something like that. Everybody was really straight laced. And instead of going to the bar, they went to the gym in the morning. And then anyway, yeah. it just seemed right. like the time had passed me by the 72 campaign. Just, you know, right. It's, it's a bygone era. Sorry about you're that. Man, that a man apart from time. Yes, sir. Yeah, I feel that way on stuff sometimes. Like it's like a, something like because I used to be in journalism too, and then I was worked in comedy, and so like so I always thought like that old image, both comedian and like journalist, it seemed like it was better back when guys always had whiskey and a gun on them at all times. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think you know it's amazing how much damage I did trying to chase that you know that mm -hmm. that myth, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I will say this: the Tennessee State House felt like. I felt like a sort of a time machine trip back to that era. I was like the youngest guy there, like 20 years. And I don't know, we, we smoked at our desk, you know, we drank while we wrote. It was, uh, yeah. it was, it was like, you know, it was uh, Jack Burden and all the Kings men. Yeah. That yeah. very much checks out. So Sam, uh, let people know how they can check yeah. you out, follow your stuff and all that. Man, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate y'all having me on. Uh, yeah. We, we got a new podcast, uh, burning bridges with uncle Sam. Get it. You know, wherever you get podcast. Yeah. Uh, we drop a new show, my co-host Ruby and I, every Tuesday. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter at Uncle Sam Pod or on Facebook at backslash Burning Bridges Pod. And I've even got a newsletter, bigstuff.us. <laughs> that's, that's a lot. I'm not great at the self-promotion. I'm, uh, I'm going to have to work Man. on that. You did a hell of a job, buddy. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Sam. Good to see you again. And again, once uh, once things get you know even further back to normal, let's uh, let's have that bear out here. May you and my yeah. Hey, I All really right. enjoyed this, you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. you too. Thanks, brother. Sam. Thank you. I'll take Sam care. Youngman, everybody. Yeah. It yeah. is a a weird vest. Like we were just talking about about how it used to be cooler when people. I mean, it's weird how like America became less like more class rigid and more like uh, you know le less meritocratic, more inheritance kids, you know, second generation people, and somehow became more like buttoned up. It's a weird byproduct that doesn't make any sense to me where everyone got more straight laced and health conscious at the same time that their positions became more secure. I don't know. Yeah. I know that the two aren't necessarily tied together at all, but I feel like a lot of people might be like, yeah, you know, that's back when like straight white dudes with uh, power or money or whatever could just literally do like whatever they wanted to, you know, like the things like <laughs> probably kind of go hand in hand, reining in these, lunatic mm -hmm. egos that enabled all that type of stuff for so long, you know, oh, those type of cultures yeah. and like, and that sort of connected with, um, you know, <laughs> allowing yeah, I'm people not to actually have opportunity. Cause like, dude, you think about all this thing we're talking, you're like, yeah, it used to be, and I'm not, I'm not trying to fucking shit on you when I say this, but you're like, yeah, it used to be, you know, back when, back when a guy just had a whiskey every day for lunch or whatever else, it's like, yeah, that was hitting real hard for me and you, Mark, or our grandpas, you know, or whatever. But like 
the secretary wasn't having a great time. No. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not, but it's not clear to me why getting rid of one meant getting rid of the, uh, I like it's like, you. <laughs> right. You can, yeah, I agree with you. We, I'm not, I'm not we can be to bring back. still party. You can be yes. broken party. Yeah. But yeah, no, you I'm, I'm, I'm not like, that. <laughs> like you read, read the stories about like SNL, like the seventies and eighties where they were like, I mean, they still pull all nighters and stuff, but there, anybody that works there now, it's like it's very straight laced and corporate, and there's no. It, it might Pete Davidson probably sneaks a little uh, jo- uh, when he doesn't do. It, he's supposedly clean now, but like he might sneak, be able to sneak a joint a couple times a week, but not the all night wall to wall party so, like it was. All right. Well, first it's of all, weird. Matt, you got some uh, questions and comments for us. Put them up there. Whatever y'all think about the verdict or whatnot. But um, I want about SNL. Um, yeah, it annoys because, like you said, people if in this business, you know that they do still keep those hours. Like you said, they do still do the all nighters <laughs> and all that type of stuff, and come in in the afternoon and work all night and everything. But there's not coke anymore, and it's like my understanding is they keep doing that because that's what they've always done, you know. And it's like, dude, recalibrate a little bit. Like either either put the mountain of coke back out in the uh, in the break room. Right. Yeah. And have, make uh-huh. people still pulling all nighters or make it a little more of a fucking decent human being type of schedule that they have. And I know the rigors of what they're doing mean you got to work a lot of hours, but it doesn't mean you have to work them at the hours they do. They just keep doing that. I know no one else gives a shit about this. I just wanted to say yeah. it. No, it, this like uh, I'll connect it to this. So th- this uh, Charlie Warzel wrote this piece about how obsessed Americans are with work and like how destruct right. like work's destroying all of our lives in ways that like we don't even think about because it's like a, a, you, have, you ask a fish what water is, but you compare the way Americans work and the way we think about our jobs and like he was making the point that like when a company tells you that we're all family here, fucking run. Mm-hmm. Right, because yeah. that uh, means they expect is, you to spend holidays with them. Yeah, and be and to be and to be dedicated to them over material stuff. Like you're with your family. Like I would die for my wife. I and I did not sign up to take a bullet for my boss. That is not part of the transaction here, right? Like so, what do they when they try to tell you we're family here? What are they trying to say? It's like where you're, you're trying like this is a transactional relationship. I give you a percentage of my time and effort. You give me money. That's the end of the whole thing. Right. I should not be here nights and weekends helping like helping the company make deadlines. I should not be missing my kids' plays. You know, it's like it's yeah. So anyway, to go to just like the it's like, but people think like this goes to the SNL thing too. It's like, oh, I there's it's like a like a badge of honor. Like I worked 48 hours straight. It's like right. for what? For what? What yeah, exactly what we we glorify that type of shit when really yeah. it's like, no, it's a goddamn shame that people have to work that much. Like it's not it's not worth being glorified over. Um Kathleen Delores says verdict was great for that case. Meanwhile, Adam Toledo and Kyle Rittenhouse, and yeah, you know, we were we alluded to that earlier too. I mean, yeah, you're right. Like it doesn't and I don't think anybody's saying that it means this, but like this doesn't mean that like, all right fix that you know moving forward yeah like all right did all right here we go on to the next thing yeah. um but still it's just there had to be a verdict in this case and the one we got is the one that we yeah. all wanted so that's at least something you know and um, the adam toledo and, and Brian McGuckin says the same thing he says i'm glad of the verdict yeah. but damn i can't actually celebrate there's so much still left to do so yeah yeah speaking speaking of which uh we wanted to uh uh Producer Matt did a little. We got we got some actually breaking skews news. Uh, um, Producer Matt broke some news. He got leaked this document from a, um, an uh, Iowa sheriff. Uh, for background, um, 
FAIR is a, uh, a far-right anti-immigration uh, group. They're labeled a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. And they've been trying to organize sheriffs uh, as a resistance to uh, Biden's immigration policies. And Matt got a hold of a letter from a Massachusetts sheriff, I believe, trying to uh, organize other sheriffs to come together to, to, to sign up for. Yeah, it's a letter on the left. So uh, uh, Matt tried to pass it along to uh, uh, some reporters, hoping to get some coverage of it there. But yeah, uh, they sheriffs have a lot of power and a lot of freedom uh, to and discretion to govern their areas as they see fit. Anybody's familiar with the constitutional sheriff movement or whatever probably knows that it's uh, they're overstepping their bounds. They did stuff like re- there were a bunch of sheriffs refused to enforce statewide COVID guidelines. There are sheriffs who mm-hmm. say they will not enforce statewide gun laws. There's a, there's a lot of shit going on like that. Dude, so, I, that shit. It's like it reminds me when gay marriage got legalized and there were judges in like in the rural south in particular that were like, I'm not doing that. I refuse to do that. And it, that shit like that kills me because it's like you don't have. You don't have the right to refuse. I mean, obviously, they have enough power to refuse to do it, but it's like that's literally mm-hmm. your job. This is the law now. You have to enforce the law. That's your whole job. But they have the ability to just say, no, fuck that. I'm not doing it just because they don't want to. And that just yeah. that just flies in this country. I hate that shit. So a lot of these uh, uh, meathead right wing guys are like uh, half illiterate constitutional scholars and they come with their own inter- uh, interpretations of shit. And it's kind of an offshoot of the sovereign citizen movement. There are a bunch of people who read the Constitution to say that sh- county sheriffs, are the ultimate arbiters of law. So uh, right. and so if a county sheriff thinks that a gun law is unconstitutional, if he just yeah. merely his opinion, his belief, yeah. he doesn't have to enforce it. It's kind of like yeah. uh, how like Not you don't the have to Supreme pay- Court. The county nah. sheriff, and if you're from a county like I'm from, and you think of your sheriff, like yeah, he shouldn't be in charge of constitute in charge of constitutionality. Yeah, I mean the, the sheer number. Like I read a story about once a week about a guy who's under indictment is still serving as a county sheriff. Like it happens a lot. It's like yeah. a, those are, those are clearing houses for for local power hungry people who want to be able to be able to get away with anything. And like there was a guy in Louisiana who was like. I guess the state the state law gave him absolute discretion over his county jail budget, so he was just paying himself with the jail budget, and nobody could stop it because he was like, <laughs> he, like he was like it was like budgeted so much money for food, he would like literally just give the prisoners white bread and pocket the rest, and they caught him uh-huh. doing it, and he's like, yeah, I did it, so what? And they're like, yeah, yeah. technically you can do that. It's like I don't know, it's crazy. God damn. So producer Matt <laughs> giving himself a little shine here because he's yeah. coming from Jason Ruderman. Hey, he deserves it. Jason says, I love when you call him producer Matt and give him so much respect. Hey, he is the he's the backbone of the show, guys. He's the one that holds it all together, producer Matt. I mean, if a guy coached a uh, football 20 years ago can go on a post-game show and still be called coach, we can call him Matt, producer Matt. <laughs> he produces the shit out of this thing. Yeah, yeah. Producer Matt does. Um yeah, I've, uh, fuck, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah, cops and all. Dude, in my hometown, there was a high-level elected official that was, like, arrested outside of our county with a shitload of cocaine in the 90s. And unless he's retired by now, because I haven't been back home in a while, obviously, served in that same exact position for 20 more years after that <laughs> happened. And, yeah. You know, it didn't matter. Because, yeah, in those positions, like you said, you get a lot of power, and it's like, at that level, it's not it's not a high enough level for like the major powers that be to even give a shit, but mm-hmm. it matters greatly to all the people who live in that area. And you can just hold on to that shit for fucking forever and just rule with an iron fist and do whatever the hell you want to. And it's there was a up. 
there's a story three or four months ago. It was the craziest goddamn thing. This um, sheriff, a, dep- a deputy who happened to be black, recorded his co-workers, including, including the sheriff, using a bunch of racial epithets and turned it over to like the county HR department or whatever to try to be like, hey, this is fucked up. And the sheriff got arrested after that for trying to hire a hitman to kill his own deputy. He paid bail and went back to work. <laughs> My God. So, yeah, still a lot of work to be done on the law enforcement in America front. But that's it for this episode. Thank you all for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next week. It'll be a good time. Yeah. I'm Trey. That's Mark. Say so you love you,